Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, I want to invite you to turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, I, I'm kind of old school. I like to have a, a hard copy of the Bible up here. But if you have a device or something, Luke 22, that's where we're going to be this morning. And we'll also be in Luke 24. Uh, several weeks ago, I started a series that I've called Jesus is Coming to Dinner. And we're using the Gospel of Luke as our text uh, for this series. This is the fourth and the last one in the series. Uh, but we've looked at, throughout Luke, all these table fellowship opportunities, I guess you could call them, that Jesus has. Several different times, at least ten different times in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus sits down at a table, either as a guest or what we're about to read as a host. And he has a conversation. He has some teaching opportunities. And Luke makes sure to include that these take place over a table. So that's why we've titled this, Jesus is Coming to Dinner. The very first lesson I did in the series, I originally intended to just do three sermons on it. And I told you I was going to do the non-Eucharist meals, but I couldn't help myself. And the more I studied, the more I thought we need to include this also. So today is a bonus lesson in this series, if you want to call it that. Um, we're also doing this in connection with Connect Groups, as we've restarted this ministry here at Pine Tree. And I want us to see the parallels between Jesus' ministry and the table, and then being in the home, or wherever you're going to meet with your Connect Groups, and maybe sitting around and having a meal and how maybe we can look to Jesus and his ministry and how he used the table, how he used someone's home as a place to carry out his mission. Let's begin this morning in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. Up until this point, everything we've read, Jesus has been a guest, and now he's going to play the role of a host. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover meal for us, that we may eat it. They asked him, Where do you want us to make preparations for it? Listen, he said to them, When you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house he enters, and say to the owner of the house, The teacher asks you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs already furnished, Make preparations for us there. So they went and found everything as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover meal. Now Jesus is playing the role of host, although he's sending out his disciples to make those final preparations. This is a Passover meal. If you're unfamiliar with what that means, uh, in that Jewish context, they celebrated the Passover every year for centuries. Passover was crucial to their identity, to who they were as believers. The Passover remembered what took place, what we read about in the book of Exodus. God brought His people out of slavery through the Red Sea into the wilderness and eventually into the Promised Land. But this meal is a meal to remember. I don't know if you've ever participated in a Passover meal but you have a Seder plate, and on this plate, there's different food items on it. And as you go through each item that you eat, there's a scripture you look at, 
or something from that Exodus story, and that food item it reminds you of either the tears that were shed or sacrifices that were made, and the whole meal itself, yes, it was a tradition, but it was there to help them remember what God had done. So this meal was incredibly important. And Jesus is now playing the host for his disciples for a Passover meal. He said, when you see a man carrying a jar of water, which would have been easy to find because uh, usually only women would carry the water jugs. But when they saw this man, they knew that's the guy. And somehow, some way, Jesus had made preparations and made arrangements, and they don't even question it, so maybe at this point they're just used to being surprised by Jesus. So they go and they found everything ready for the meal. Uh, one of the things that I've become passionate about, very interested in, in the last several years is domestic missions. Uh, I spent, we spent some time overseas, we've gone on trips, and I still believe that's incredibly important to do cross-cultural missions, but I'm really fascinated with domestic missions. People who are missionaries right here in our own country, and this morning, as we study through this, these last meal stories in Luke, I want to introduce you uh, to a few of those organizations. Uh, the first one I'm going to talk to you about is this organization called Global City Missions Initiative. Uh, the man who's the executive minister uh, of this mission organization is a man named Dr. Looney. Uh, when I was working on my master's, he taught one of my courses. He's an adjunct professor. Uh, and as I studied, as he taught, and then I studied from him, and then what they're doing, uh, it piqued my interest. So I've kept in contact with him since that class, and I'll tell you briefly what they do. They, for about two decades, he was in New York City, and they were reaching people groups, making disciples, as you see there, making disciples at the world's crossroads, because there's people who have migrated to the United States from all over, and maybe they're here for a few years, maybe they're here for the rest of their lives, but if you go to a place like New York City, I mean, you're, you have representatives from all over the world, from all religions, so they go into these people groups and they form relationships and begin to try to make disciples of Jesus Christ among them. So I'm interested in their strategies and maybe how that could work even here in a place like Longview. Uh, Tony and I actually did a video conference with Dr. Looney about a month ago and he did some consulting with us as we get ready for connect groups and maybe studying about how that could, they could become more mission-focused. And during that video conference, I asked him, what does the table mean for you and your mission? Um, and then I asked him, would you make a short video for our church here and share some of the things that you've learned or what the table has meant to you. And he made a video. I'm not going to show the whole video, but I'm going to show just a little clip from it uh, here in just a second. If you want the whole video, email me and I'll send you the video. But let me just introduce you to Dr. Looney. And these are some of the words If this video will work. If you, if you want to get that video ready, we're going to show you this uh, sh just short talk from him. Another opportunity that Table Fellowship brings is vulnerability. Uh, it kind of is, goes unspoken that when someone prepares a meal for us, we're trusting their preparation. We're trusting uh, the health of the meal. We're trusting that it hasn't been contaminated. We're trusting that it's good for us and it comes with good intentions. There's a certain amount of trust that goes into it. This is largely unspoken. 
But when we receive a meal from someone, we, we often are making ourselves vulnerable to them in some way. Well, this can be further symbolized when you sit down with, uh, like I did, with, with my brother from Ghana. And uh, there was, we were in his Bronx apartment, and there was two forks, one plate. We, sh we ate off the same plate together as he prepared the meal for two. Uh, one of our missionaries often reaches out to Arabs in his community and uh, people from the Middle East, and he, he sits down with them, and, and there's been times where there's one plate and bread to scoop the food with, with their hands, as they eat together off of a shared plate. Uh, this is something that, you know, might make uh, some Americans, you know, kind of squirm in our seats a little bit to think about, but it further symbolizes the vulnerability uh, that is entailed with table fellowship as we go as missionaries uh, into people's lives and often homes and share together from what they have and what they offer. Okay, that's just a short clip of the, the whole video that he, he made for us. So if you're, if you're interested in that, I'll email it to you. But I don't know how well you could hear that. Could you hear it okay? Uh, it sounds different when you're up here on stage. But the key word that he used in that section that I just shared with you is the word vulnerability. Something I hadn't thought of when this whole time I've studied the table and Jesus' ministry. I didn't think about vulnerability. But he said when you sit down at the table with someone, you're making yourself vulnerable. Especially as you go in as a guest. Because you're trusting, as he said, that the food is not contaminated. You go into someone's house and you hope that you're not going to get sick. He shared a story about going into the Bronx, but sharing a meal with a man from Ghana. So you see the world's crossroads right there. and They have one plate. They share the one plate with two forks. Or another group of missionaries who ate with uh, Middle Eastern families, and they shared one plate. All they had was bread to scoop the food on. But the table is important to their disciple-making ministry. And at the table, you have to make yourself vulnerable. Whether you're the host or you're a guest, you make yourself vulnerable. Vulnerable. Jesus does this throughout the Gospel of Luke, especially when he goes into a tax collector's home. That was taboo. That's something I told you in that first lesson that rabbis did not do, and yet he makes himself vulnerable by his reputation and what others would think about him going into the home of a tax collector. And every time he went into someone's house, especially the Pharisees, he makes himself vulnerable to make sure they're not going to put some in that food to make him sick, because every time he went into their house, he put them in their place, and he silenced them. Do you think at some point a Pharisee would catch on and say, well, I'm going to make this meat contaminated here, so at least he'll get sick after he comes. You know, he makes himself vulnerable going into someone's house. I mentioned last week that when we were in Rwanda, we, we learned the language, or a little bit of the language, and we learned this phrase for welcome. And when someone says welcome in the Kenyan-Rwandan language, it meant more than just, hey, come on in, it meant you are welcome here. And there's more to the, one of the stories that I referenced. I had two friends named Ajid and Sadat. Names sound funny to us because they're French names. Uh, I was friends with these guys. We, we worked together at, at a school for street kids. Uh, Sadat was a Muslim man, Ajid a Christian man. They were both trying to finish their degree and going a little at a time. And they were roommates. And they invited me over to their house to eat, which was kind of a big deal. So I went to their house, and they lived in the slums of Kigali. And it looked something like this. And I'll never forget that day, walking down through all these little shacks. Everybody's looking at me because I'm kind of out of place being the 
what they considered, uh, they called me fat, fat American, but they meant that as a compliment because that meant we were well fed. Uh, so I walked down into their shack and they live in this little shack, dark, no electricity, just a few windows. The bathroom is outdoors. The shower is a bucket, and it's shared with other neighbors. That's the environment that they lived in. But they wanted me to come over as a guest, and I sat down at their table. But they didn't have a table, so their table was a floor. We sat down on the floor of their little shack in the slums of Kigali, and they prepared a plate that we all ate off of. They had boiled eggs, and they had bread with meat in it, and then Cokes and used Coke bottles. And that probably cost them a whole week's worth of, of work. But they wanted to, to do this for me. So I had two options as an American. I could be the uptight American who says, no thanks, because I don't want to spend the next 10 days in the bathroom because I don't know where this food came from. Or I could just take a risk and I guess make myself vulnerable to borrow that word from Dr. Looney and eat the food. And I did. And it didn't matter either way because we were sick the whole time we were there. So <laughs> might as well just eat the food. But they had to make themselves vulnerable as a host because you don't know how people are going to respond to you. What if the food's not good enough? And what if people criticize you? So you make yourself vulnerable as a guest and a host. And here in Luke 22, Jesus plays the role of host in his most vulnerable moment. The disciples still don't understand it, but Jesus knows what is about to happen to him, and that's why we call it the Last Supper. Because on this side of the cross, this is the last table fellowship meal that Jesus will share with his disciples. So they've made these preparations. We're going to continue on, chapter 22, starting in verse 14. When the hour came, he took his place at the table and the apostles with him. He said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until the, it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. The hour has come. This was sundown on a Thursday evening, right before the crucifixion. And he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this. I wonder what that emotion was like for Jesus. Then he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he did the same with the cup after supper, saying, This cup that has been poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But see, the one who betrays me is with me, and his hand is on the table for the Son of Man is going as it, been, as it has been determined, but woe to that one by whom he is betrayed. Then they began to ask one another which of them it could be and who would do this. In his most vulnerable moment, knowing what's about to happen to him, he hosts a Passover meal with his disciples. And he takes a meal that had been celebrated for centuries to remember the Exodus, and he transforms it into a continuous memorial for his own body and his own blood. Something they didn't quite understand in that moment, but later the Holy Spirit would reveal to them what Jesus really meant by this Passover meal, saying, this bread is my body, this cup is my blood. And just as we 
shared together this Lord's Supper this morning. We do this week after week to remember what Jesus says here. His body and His blood. It's a new covenant. And He says, this is for you. And then they have this conversation. And they're arguing with each other over which one is the greatest. Back in late June, I I did a little series through the Gospel of Mark. And I shared this text. I'm not going to go back over that. I'm going to skip over that part. But look at verse 27. His response to them at the table. He says, For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. He's at the table. He's the host of this particular meal. But he's not choosing the best seat, as he warned against in Luke 14. Instead, he takes on the role of a servant. And if you read John 13, you see that he goes even a step further with playing the role of a servant and washes their feet. And then he has this interesting statement in verse 28 through 30. He says, You are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you, just as my Father has conferred on me, a kingdom. The table is important in the Gospel of Luke, but you can't read through the Synoptic Gospels and not see how important kingdom language is to Jesus. Over and over, in Matthew, it's the kingdom of heaven. In Mark and Luke, it's the kingdom of God. But that was central to his message. And he says, the Father has conferred on me a kingdom. And he says, I confer that on you, the kingdom of God. He's passing it along. And then he says, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. I love that statement. So that you may eat and drink with me at my table in my kingdom. I've mentioned several times that every meal that takes place in the Gospel of Luke is foreshadowing this great kingdom banquet that we anticipate someday. A great heavenly banquet. And then he says, And you will sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Which is a strange statement. Probably not to be taken literally. Not a literal throne that they'll sit on. And probably the judgment is the message that they're going to proclaim And people have an opportunity to respond to that message. So he shares this meal with his disciples at the table. One last time this side of the cross. And then everything that he said was going to happen, happens. Judas, who was at the table with him, betrays him. He's put on trial, he's beaten, and he's crucified. And as he predicted, I'm doing this for you. My body and my blood is for you. All that happens, but that's not the end of the story. This is not the last table in the Gospel of Luke. It doesn't end at Jesus' death. If you know the story, on the third day, the tomb was found empty, Jesus resurrected. As Christ's followers, everything hinges on that. On Luke 24, on the resurrection. If there is no resurrection, the apostles scatter, there is no New Testament, there is no Pine Tree Church of Christ. But because of the resurrection, we move forward. The disciples move forward, but at this time, at this moment, they don't understand what's happening, even though Jesus told them what was going to happen. So somebody goes to the tomb, and the body's not there. And there's these two guys, these two disciples, that are walking from Jerusalem to a little village called Emmaus. And as they're walking, they're talking about the current events. They're talking about everything that's happened. Look at chapter 24, verse 14. 
and talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. The resurrected Jesus is walking with them down the road, but for whatever reason, their eyes were kept from recognizing that it was him. Now, it's easy for us. We have Easter marked on our calendars. We base everything around the resurrection. So we could look back on this and say, how would they not know? But at that time, they would have never expected this man they watched die on a cross to be walking with them down the road. So for whatever reason, their eyes were kept from seeing and recognizing that it was Jesus. But he walks and he talks and he teaches. Something special is happening. And then we skip this conversation as they walk along the road. We skip down to verse 28. As they came near the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it is almost evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. And look at this. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. The whole time they were walking and talking on the road, they had no idea that it was Jesus. But when they stop for the night, and they sit down at a table, and they break bread together, then their eyes are opened. If you're following this series and the study that we're doing, you see how important in the Gospel of Luke the table really is. There's just something about the table that's so important to the way that Luke tells the story of Jesus. And it takes a table and it takes food for their eyes to be open to actually see. This is Jesus among us. And again, this is not the last time Jesus will eat food in Luke. And it's not the last time Jesus will share a table with his followers. He promises to be among us. If you looked at the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew 25 he says... Whatever you did for the least of these, you did it actually for me. So Jesus promises to still be available to sit down at our tables with us. One of the early church fathers, Jerome, said this, Let poor men and strangers be guests at your table, and with them Christ shall be your guest. Let poor men and strangers be guests at your table, and then with them Christ will be your guest. Christ will be at your table through them. There's something about the table that helps us see Jesus, and maybe it's seeing Jesus in the face of someone else. I told you there's two mission organizations I wanted to introduce you to this morning. The first one was Dr. Looney and Global City Missions Initiative, and the second one is one that I know a little bit more intimately, and it's an organization called Dry Bones Denver. You're observant, Denver is Denver, Colorado, but their organization is called Dry Bones. This is taken from Ezekiel chapter 37. The prophet Ezekiel, God brings him out over a valley full of dry bones. And he says, Can these bones live? And Ezekiel says, I don't know, you alone know, Lord. And then he says, Prophesy to the bones, and then the bones start to form back into human beings, and then he tells them, Breathe into these bones into these people so that they become human again. So they take this this section in Ezekiel 37, and that's what they're trying to do as missionaries in Denver, is they go around, and it's a relational ministry, working with 
street kids who they call friends on the streets, who are addicted, who are broken, who are hurting, who've been abandoned, and they're trying to breathe life back into them through the love of Christ and through relationship. So I love and admire this organization. And a man named Robbie Goldman, I called him up earlier this week, and we had a conversation, and I asked him the day before through a text message, I said, think about this. What does the table mean to your ministry in Denver, working with your friends among the streets? What does the table mean? And he sent me this picture, and then he called me. Every Monday night, for almost two decades now, they have a meal in their apartment in downtown Denver. It's kind of a small, intimate type of setting. Uh, someone who was a volunteer made this table for them. It's a 14-foot table. And he said to me, the table is a place of life for us. Because it's at the table where we communicate to our friends on the streets, you belong. You're a part of this family. And every Monday night, they don't prepare a meal that maybe you might get at a shelter where there's soup or dried up old pizza. They prepare a good old-fashioned home-cooked meal. And some of the dry bone staff goes out and they just invite some of the kids from the streets to come and inside and sit down and enjoy them as a, as a part of the family, having a place at the table. And he said that beside, the table is central in their apartment. Like everything is centered around the table and on the wall there's a picture. And he said on the picture it reads, the fondest of memories are made while gathering around a table. So I sit at this table and they have conversations, they pray, they get to know each other, they, they love on these kids from the streets, and it all takes place at a table. There's a guy in that picture who's standing up kind of behind everyone, his name is Shane. I knew Shane when I, when I worked with Dry Bones back in 2007, and Robbie told me that when they first invited Shane to come in and to join them for this meal that they noticed week after week he would sit at the table with his food and he would hold it. So he'd have his plate in one hand, his fork in the other hand, but he would never set it down. He would never relax enough to set his plate down. And they thought that was odd, but as the weeks went on and he kept receiving this invitation to come back, they said there was a point at which he finally started to ease into it and set his plate down. And it was at that moment that he felt like, I belong here. I actually have a place at this table. People want me to be here. Through whether it's Global City Missions Initiative, Dry Bones Denver, or even maybe our connect groups here at Pine Tree, the table is a place of mission. It's a place where Christ can reach others, as we see modeled in the Gospel of Luke. In Luke 24, verse 32, Jesus vanishes from their sight, and they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking with us, talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? So these guys recognize, okay, now we've seen and we realize this is the resurrected Jesus eating at the table with us, and it was the table that helped them see that. And they, they look back and they say, oh, our hearts were burning within us the whole time we were talking to him. Now it makes more sense. In the Gospel of Luke, the table communicates to tax collectors that you are, you belong, you're welcome. You can receive grace and forgiveness and acceptance. The table communicates to tax collectors you can be a disciple and you can also receive salvation. Luke 19, 
when Jesus at the table with Zacchaeus. Salvation has come to this house. In the Gospel of Luke, when Jesus sits with women and he dines with them, he also communicates to them, you can be a disciple. Even in a a culture where women are not allowed to be disciples, you can be a disciple. That's Luke 10 at the table of Mary and Martha. Luke 7, when Jesus is at the table with Pharisees, and he allows this woman to come in and approach him, and he forgives her sins. Is at the table that religious leaders like the Pharisees and teachers of the law, where they're annoyed. In a way, they're provoked. They're challenged. In Luke 14, Jesus tells them, this is who you should invite. Because as I mentioned, Jesus loved them enough to not leave them the same. It's at the table where Jesus makes himself vulnerable. It's at the table where we can make ourselves vulnerable. And when we do that, we come out on the other side with this resurrected vision, like the disciples received in Luke 24. And that's made possible through the table. It's through the table that Jesus communicates to us that we belong, that you belong at the table. The invitation is for you. You have a spot at the table, not just the table here and now in the mission of Christ, but an eternal table, an eternal kingdom. This morning we're going to offer a chance for you to respond. If you need to speak with a shepherd, pray with a shepherd, you can do so. Scattered around the building in the back, if you need to come up front for any reason, we just want you to know that you're welcome, you will not be judged, and you're welcome in this place. Let's stand up and continue our time of worship. It's compassion, a love that's